Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is strategic marketing consultant Nicole Slater. First of all, SoundCloud changed to user-centric royalties. What does that mean? Well, right now, all streaming networks pay their royalties using something called pro rata distribution. It's a very efficient way of allocating money, but it's not the fairest. Now, if we dig in a little bit, pro rata distribution means that if you get 1% of all the streams in any country for a particular month, you will get 1% of all the cash generated in that country for that month. If more money comes in, you make more money. And you can see that a stream can be worth more money one month than it is another month. Now, when we go to user-centric royalties, and this is something that artists have been asking for for a long time, it's more like a fan club. So now all of your money goes to the artist that you streamed. That's all. It doesn't go anywhere else. So in other words, if you listen to one artist only, let's say it's Katy Perry, well, then Katy Perry gets your $9.99 for that month. It doesn't matter if you streamed one time or 20 times. Now, the fact of the matter is, the more you stream, the less that stream is worth. So, for instance, it could be a half a cent, or it could be worth that $9.99. You only streamed once per month. Now, as you can see, this is a much fairer system. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make more money. And what we're going to find here pretty soon is that there's going to be some big winners and big losers if all the other streaming networks go to this. And there's no guarantee that that'll happen. Some artists that were making a good amount of money might not make as much if they go to user-centric royalties. On the other hand, there are some artists that will make more. So just like anything else, you can't really tell how this is going to play out until it actually plays out. So everybody's been asking for this, user-centric streaming. And this might be a case of, be careful what you wish for. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Also learn about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now, if you listen to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that I've been looking at how songwriting has changed over the years. And it certainly has changed, especially in the last five, six years or so, in that songs have gotten a lot shorter. And we've gotten away from traditional song structure where you had intros and outros and solos and bridges. And now, not really like that. That being said, we may be going back to more like what we had before in terms of traditional song structure. Now, how are songs changing? Well, if we look at the top 10 from this second quarter of the year and how they changed just from the first quarter, we find that 40% of new songs are hip hop, 24% are pop, 
11% are Latin, 8% are country, and 0% are rock. This changes every three months, every quarter. And this quarter, it represents a big change, actually, from the last quarter. Now, 64% of the songs are a combination of sung and rapped, as compared to 33% last quarter. 56% are about lifestyle, and 48% about love and relationships. Here's where it really got interesting, I thought. The tempo of songs has dropped a lot. Last quarter, the average tempo was 107 beats per minute. Now it's down by 10 to 97 beats per minute. Song lengths have also changed. Last quarter, they were around three minutes, and the average length this quarter is about 325. 325 is pretty much right in there in terms of what traditional songs have always aimed for. They're always looking to get in that 330 range or thereabouts. That being said, there are still some very short songs, and some have come in around 220, 230 in there. So we're still having that. Hit songs have a much shorter lifespan as well. Half of the new hits charted only for one week, and 22 out of 25 hits charted for less than 10 weeks. While if we look at last quarter, seven out of nine of the hits that are still hits today have charted for more than 10 weeks. So what we're finding is that songs continue to change, but it looks like they're going back to the way they once were, which I think is a good development because there's a really good reason why songs use basically the same structure for 50, 60, 70 years. And that's because it worked. People liked it. Songs weren't too long. Songs had different movements, different sections that kept your interest. And hopefully we're now going back to that. My guest this week is Nicole Slater, who specializes in helping artists, musicians, and entrepreneurs develop their marketing strategies. Since 2005, Nicole has been focused on helping creative people share their message with the world and make more money. She's helped artists and pro audio companies like Burl Audio, Barefoot Sound, Nike Multimedia, and studios like Sunset Sound form rollout plans for new products and music releases, develop marketing materials, create email newsletters, optimize social media, launch marketing events, and develop online ad campaigns. During the interview, we talked about her career in radio and streaming, why posting consistency is so important, when to hire a PR person, how to become a podcast guest, and much more. I spoke with Nicole via Zoom from her office in the Hollywood Hills. I'd like to know some of your background, like how you get into this part of the business. You were an artist at one time, weren't you? Um, I was not a musician. I'm an artist as a painter and stuff like that. But I came through radio, actually. Oddly enough, I was working as a a pharmacy technician at Walgreens at 19 and I was talking, selling some guy drugs <laughs> illegally. And uh, he ended up being a general manager of our local radio station in Reno, Nevada, gave me his card and said, you should come work for us. And so like my first job in the music industry was being a webmaster for four radio stations. Cause I just so happened to take one class in high school and I totally lied and said that I could, I could do uh, you know, website stuff. So that was, that was my first foray into music. And then I worked in radio for 10 years 
and streaming in all different capacities here in LA and in Reno. And then uh, somehow found myself into pro audio, which I really love. I really am in love with this industry. Well, let's talk about radio for a second, because it seems to be less influential, less of a thing than it used to be. Yeah, I think, you know, its heyday was probably in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, I really should have been born and and, and rocking and rolling during those times. But I think radio is still influential um, for a variety of reasons. One is it's especially from the community aspect and community news. And, you know, if there's an emergency in the community, you turn to radio. Um, news, you know, TV stations and stuff isn't always necessarily available where people are. So from a community aspect, it's still very relevant. As far as breaking new music, I'm not sure it's the place, but you can definitely still get an amazing curated playlist. But during the pandemic, radio really took a hit. You know, people aren't driving as much and there are radio apps now and people can listen and stream. But you're right, it's not as influential, but I don't necessarily know who is replacing it. Obviously, there's Spotify and apps, but who are really the tastemakers? And it seems like people now are their own tastemakers, which is really an interesting concept. You know, it's funny. I was, I forget where I was, but I happened to meet a guy that was working in radio for, he was a sales manager for one of the big station groups. But anyway, he was telling me the business was great. Now, I, since he was a salesman, I don't know if he was giving me some sales talk or what, but he was just raving about how everything was so good and never been better. And I'm thinking to myself, really? It's possible. I mean, the joke in radio is radio only exists to sell cars. You know, that's the major, that's the major, uh, you know, uh, supplier and people really, you know, need that. Everyone needs new cars and new appliances and new things. So radio is still from an advertising uh, perspective can be really effective if you can afford frequency. And it really depends on what market and how much it costs. But as we're seeing with digital trends, I don't know if you're aware of, you know, the Apple changes, Facebook advertising is not as effective as it once was. There's a lot of different changes in the advertising industry. So I actually think radio has a really good chance of coming back from an advertising perspective and being a lot more effective than it was in the last three years. See, I always thought radio could be resurgent if it went back to what it was really good at. And this is before your time, but what would happen on a local level is that there was a real local level, for instance. So every community had its own station. A lot of those have gone station groups now, but everyone had their own playlist because they were doing music. And you could actually break out of a small, and so many artists, legendary artists that we have, have done it like that, where they break out of a small territory and it would catch on. But it was because the the disc jockeys had pretty much autonomy to play what they wanted. It was a wonderful time. And if we kind of went back to that, I think it would be very helpful. You tuned in because of the disc jockey, not so much of the music, because you trusted the taste. I 100% agree, like a thousand percent. I think a lot, um, I was an on-air DJ at a hard rock station in Reno. And I think the personalities, the DJs are really what makes it. And like you said, it brings a local flair. And especially if there's a local live show where local bands can submit their music and really have that hyper focus on, um, on local. I, I think there is a huge win there. Um, but unfortunately, due to costs and due to loss of money in advertising, they've been taking the DJs out and just, you know, 
unfortunately, for a long time, the DJs haven't chosen, you know, the music. Now it's music directors. But now because there's corporate interests, only one person for the West Coast chooses the playlist. <laughs> and maybe there's slight wiggle room. But for the most part, unless the station is really um, killing it in ratings, someone else is really choosing the music. Yeah, that's a shame. The DJs still have a great opportunity to showcase their personality on social media and build their own influence, kind of irregardless of the station. So you were in radio for a long time, and then you made the transition into doing more consulting and more social media for artists and generally helping with marketing. So how did that transition happen? Well, I I worked in radio for a long time, like you mentioned, and I wound up in San Diego working for Slacker Radio, working in streaming radio, and uh, got downsized. They got bought out, so they uh, let go of half the company. And I wound up at House of Blues, which I really enjoyed. Uh, It was really fun learning live events and kind of really seeing the result of what happened in radio. And the last section of the music industry that I really hadn't explored was the music making. And I so happened to start befriending a lot of music producers and audio engineers and studio runners and that kind of stuff and decided, you know, there's a real market here. So I ended up moving back to LA. San Diego is a very lovely place, but not for me. You know, I think that if you like to surf and sit on the beach, it's great but I'm very high strung and want to make something of myself. So I moved back to LA where, you know, things were happening. And it's a really stark difference between pro audio and radio. Radio, everyone's kind of scratching their way to the top and stabbing each other in the backs. And it's a very like hostile kind of work environment. And I cannot say that, I mean, pro audio is competitive too. I, I, I won't say that, you know, but it's a real community. There's like a brotherhood and a sisterhood in pro audio. And, you know, once you have your in and you're kind of, you know, someone dons you, you know, a little like, yes, this person's cool or whatever, you know, you're really brought into this wonderful, wonderful community. So I started consulting and uh, one of my first gigs actually was working for Sunset Sound. So I did their social media for over two years and took them from 2000 uh, Instagram followers to 22,000 and really got them on their way. Also worked for IK Multimedia, helping them with branding and design and more networking than anything else and helping them kind of introduce them to the more um, high-level producers and things like that. So just by networking and kind of meeting everyone as friends, you know, I'm not an artist, I'm not a musician, I'm not a a producer. So it's really weird (laughs) to be on the floor on NAMM. And be in a booth and I'm selling A to D, D to A converters, you know, you just, you know, you use a lot of note cards and you smile and, you know, and you make it work, you know. So I've done a lot of things actually in pro audio that I'm surprised by, you know, being in that position. What are some of your clients in pro audio out of curiosity? Uh, Burl Audio, I worked with them for a year and a half. Um, Sunset Sound Recorders, the recording studio. IK Multimedia, Barefoot Sound, one of the best speakers on the market, Mojave Audio, a bunch of people. But, you know, while I loved working in pro audio, I really enjoyed working with artists as well, mostly in rock and in country. It's really anyone that I, I came across to. Everyone I talked to, they shake my hands like, oh my God, I need your services. Uh, yeah. You know, but not necessarily everyone's ready to put in the work. And One thing that's really interesting that happened to me is, and I think a lot of social media content producers out there, 
is that it really became saturated. When I first started out, just ipso facto by me knowing the internet and having a computer since I was young, I was hired. And now everyone can do social media. It's really to the masses. And so I kept getting, you know, I charged a little bit of money, you know, so I kept getting uh, fired essentially. Or, well, my 15 year old cousin, she's going to tweet for me or, you know, my, you know, my, my little kid is going to do this. So I'm like, all right, I, I need a different strategy. So what I realized is through, you know, live events and pro audio and radio and all these marketing jobs that I've had that I can really look at a holistic picture of 360, you know, marketing, and I can see the life cycle of whatever someone's goal is. So I actually switched over to consulting and doing strategic marketing and really helping people with their goals and meeting on a weekly basis. And that's actually been really, really helpful for both them and me to look at the, the big picture view. And then it's up to them to like find a social media person to you know enact the plan. One of the things that I've always noticed about that approach where I'm going to get my daughter or I'm going to get my friend or whatever to do social media because they're always on it is the fact that yes being on it is one thing but knowing how to use it for promotion is a completely different thing and that's where the rubber meets the road and you find that most people are just a user don't know how to do that. Having business communication skills is huge. And your average 20-year-old is not going to know how to send a formal email or not going to send you know, a promotional uh, tweet or they're going to do something that's really cheeky and young and fun. But if the product is meant for a 55-year-old you know, music producer, they're going to have a lot different language uh, you know, than a 21-year-old kid. So I think it is really important to hire someone. And also, you know, says something about yourself. I, Everyone has different budgets, you know, so I can respect that. But if you're not willing to print your business card on good cardstock or hire a social media person that knows what they're doing or hire a music producer or an engineer or mixer that has, you know, a really good background. If you're just, oh, my cousin will will fix it in post, you know, my cousin will master it or whatever. You get what you pay for, you know. One of the interesting things about marketing is the fact that you're giving someone a roadmap Mm-hmm. And it's really up to them to execute, which can be dangerous in the fact that many of them can't or won't. Yeah. Uh, when I first started out, I was amazed at how much money I made for people not to listen to me. I think it's like a doctor or someone, maybe a dietitian or something like that, a nutritionist or a dentist where you tell someone, okay, you got to floss every day and then no one listens. But eventually, you know, I started working with people and kind of finding people that were really motivated. I'm really passionate about whatever you're passionate about, whether you want to release that single or that album, or you want to create a new project. And I am so excited. But if you can't get excited about sharing that, another part of my job, which I found really interesting was kind of the self-confidence piece. I didn't realize consulting would be so close to almost like therapy, where there's a part of being on social media and posting and self-promotion for most people feels icky which I get it. They think that they're a car salesman or that, oh, you know, no one's going to care. But there's also this psychological aspect of wanting to be seen and being okay with being seen. Because if you're seen, then you can be judged. And that's really scary. And I I totally relate to that. and And I understand that. So that's another part of my job is really talking and holding people's hands through this process. So they realize that if they come from a place of service, 
you know, artists supporting other artists, highlighting other musicians' music, or talking about free webinars people can go to to learn more skills, or, you know, sharing what they're struggling with and coming from a place of service on social media. It opens that up a lot more than, hey, buy my album, go to, you know, my show, buy my t-shirt. No one wants to see that all the time. Um, so I, I don't know for the people that you've talked to, but I definitely think self-confidence and wanting to be seen is a huge part of marketing. I think that that self-sabotage element really comes into play a lot. Once you make the album, they're like, okay, good. I made the album. Well, now what? You really, really have to push it. And it's, it's a whole second campaign. You know, it's hard enough to make the music and, and get it all finished, but you really have to take a deep breath and get ready to really make it succeed. It does take a lot of work. The problem is if you make it and finish it and then start to think about that, it may be too late by the time you can implement everything. Possible. It kind of depends on what your goals are. It depends if someone's like, well, for social media in particular, uh, and, you know, if you're saying, well, I need 10,000 followers to blah, 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 but they have two, you know, and the album's out. Well, you can tell two people possibly about your album. So especially starting whoever's listening right now, starting your social media today. And if, even if you can only post once a week, but it's consistent, like every Monday, just start doing that. Even if you don't know what you're doing, because slowly you'll start gaining followers. So when that album is done, you have an audience to talk to. It's very expensive to go buy an audience, you know, on Facebook advertising or whatever means that you want to do radio, TV. But if you already have built that in some capacity, Email marketing, we talked about that when I met you on at NAM on our panel. Email marketing is one of the best ways that people can build their list. Every time you meet someone, add that name to your MailChimp list. So by the time you have your product, you already have a built-in audience, at least to start out. What do your clients in general need the most? Validation, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I think I'm a good person to provide that. To have someone to hold them accountable so each week we go over our goals and maybe they didn't do all of them, but that's okay, you know, and just someone to sparse ideas off of, especially when I'm working with creative people, which is really my bread and butter. They're so talented. They can do anything, and especially if you're connected and, you know, people that you're, you're being strung out in a million different ways, really having someone to hone in. Okay. What are the most important things? What are the top things you can do? to sell your music or make more money or whatever your goal is, because you can get pulled in so many ways when you're so talented. So just having someone to help you focus and validate, yes, this is working. We're building the building blocks or building the email. We're building this, whatever it is, really, really helps. I think focus and validation and just knowing that someone's in your corner and uh, cheerleading you on the way. And then also a lot of my clients are baby boomers and you know maybe Gen X. So just skills. How do I do an Instagram reel? How do I, you know, set a filter on my Gmail so all this junk goes in this one folder? How do I, you know, post to Facebook or what's a hashtag? How do we use that? But most of it, honestly, is just accountability, goals, and validation. Yeah, it's one of those things where I can see why that would really work. If you're doing something on social media and you're, you're only posting once a week, you may not see the results right away. And it, I could see how that validation could you know, keep going, keep going. It's worth it. It's worth it. Otherwise, it's easy enough to say, oh, I don't think anything's happening and throw your hands up and stop. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's hard when it's just you, you know, everyone, especially if you're making your own music or your own project, you know, it's a lot easier to watch TV or gets distracted on your phone. So a lot of my clients, you know, before they meet with me will, you know, oh my God, I got to do this. They'll, they'll do their whole to-do list and they'll plan for the meeting. So even if we don't meet, it's like oh, to have someone else as an accountability partner, whatever it is, is really useful. And definitely a good tip that anyone listening could use. You know, I have an accountability partner. We meet every Tuesday night and we go on Zoom and we just get stuff done for one hour. That's it. But I've been way more productive in that than a lot of times by myself, because if someone else is not there, especially for people who are working from home, it's really hard to get motivated to do the thing that's scary. That's going to help you be seen, you know? Yeah. So it, it helps to have someone there and rooting you on and, and helping you with the skill set. Yeah, I have a, a coach plus I'm in a couple of masterminds. And since that's happened, definitely things have gotten accomplished I mean, I'm pretty good about doing that anyway, but on a much higher level because there are more ideas that I didn't have before, um, more different avenues to try that otherwise I never would have thought of. So yeah, it's it's very helpful. It's something everybody should have. And there, it, there's something to actually saying your goals out loud and having a sacred space or someone you trust. You know, I think a lot of people make the mistake of sharing their goals or their dreams with the wrong people. And, you know, the people that want to stay, you know, keep them at the same level they are. And, you know, that could be family or friends or employers or whatever. And they just get, you know, drugged down. So having, a, like you said, a mastermind group or an accountability partner or a trusted friend or family member, you're like, yeah, that's a great idea. How can I help you do that? Really, really helps you take it to the next level and just saying and getting clarity around what your goals are. I have a, a potential client right now that I actually met at NAM who's in his fifties and um, has raised his kids and done all, all of those things. And now he wants to really, you know, get his kind of career and his music career going. So he's going to have a lot different goals than someone who's 21, who can tour, who can live in a van, you know, with no shower for a week, you know, it can rough it. Uh, so just kind of being realistic about what your goals are, you know, maybe for my potential client, it'd be sync and, you know, getting his song, into film and TV, because that would pay the bills. Yeah, I mean, those are my subscribers, basically. You know, you're describing exactly 40 plus that are getting back into music or have sort of been in it, but now are jumping in more so than they ever, than they have before. And they have no compunction. And the rules have yeah. changed. <laughs> rules have changed, yeah, and, and all the way around. But the thing about it is they're motivated and they really want to get as much information as possible, so. That's much better than someone who is um, kind of dabbling, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And as I've gone, you know, I've been consulting off and on for 10 years. So as I've gone on, I've gotten better to kind of discern clients because my time is valuable as well. And that's the one thing when you like to help people, it, your, your energy can be lost really quickly. You know, for I offer a free discovery call, which is like a half an hour. But I really try to discern the, the people I've talked to. And one of the things that I look for is passion and energy. And when they, they light up, when they're talking about whatever they want to do. If I meet someone who's like, oh, I should get that. You know, I, I know one person who tells me every year at NAM, oh, hey, Nicole, how's it going? I got to hire you sometime. I really need a social media person. It's like, I'm never going to take them as a client. Because if you really wanted that, that would have already happened. 
you know? So looking for that passion, it doesn't matter what age you are, but just, I want someone who lights up, you know, when they talk about their dreams. Here's a question for you. I know you don't do PR, traditional PR, because that's not what you do, but you probably have fielded the question, should I get a PR person? Or maybe you've, you've actually told somebody, well, maybe you should go see this particular person, guided someone to see a, a PR person. And my question is, getting the right PR person is very difficult because there are more horror stories than there are success stories with that. How do you actually discern between them? That's a great question. I would say the most common thing that I've, from the clients that have come across my desk is that they hire the PR firm too early. And so, you know, if you want a top level agency, it's like $5,000 a month. Like it's pretty insane. And so they'll, they'll make the song, they'll make the album, but they don't have a following. They can't sell out anywhere. And then they'll hire the $5,000 a month PR firm. And the PR firm to their credit will do as much as they can. They'll send them to all their contacts and try to get them on news. But if no one's ever heard of you, no one's going to like, there's only so much they can do and radio placement. Maybe they can pull out one really big favor and get you played at, you know, midnight on some station. But you really have to have some kind of audience and something to work with them. So it's not necessarily always the PR person's fault. But if you can attach it to something, so let's say you release a song and all the proceeds go, you know, it's a 4th of July or Memorial Day song and it's veterans, you know, and you're a veteran and you want to donate the money to a veteran charity. That's really something that has some teeth in it that you can approach a marketing company about or you know, that charity that you want to donate to, they probably have a PR person if it's a large enough charity. So you can pitch that idea and then you can use the charity's resources to get your name out there. Yeah. And another thing that I do is, I don't know if you know this, Bobby, uh, running a podcast, but pod- podcast hosts always need guests. It's actually really easy to get on a podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, more so than you think. I've worked for podcast companies and, you know, if you have a weekly interview show, that's a lot of guests. So having a one sheet, you can be your own PR company, having a one sheet that says who you are, your basic bio, the speaking topics, maybe other show and media that you've been on and kind of what you're promoting and just send it out. You know, you can go on LinkedIn and find the top producer for any pod major podcast you want. Just send them a message and just say, I would love to be a guest and just links to your website and your social media and, and stuff like that. Especially if you have, you know, a good social media following, it's a, it's a lot easier because they'll think that you'll push more people to the podcast. That certainly worked for me. I get pitched five times a day from PR people, to be honest with you. So I'm never at a loss for guests. That being said, I try to get the right guests. I just don't take anybody. And I do find that if someone reaches out to me, engineers, producers, I don't do artists but I'll do engineers and producers. The reason why artists are, are a little too self-serving, engineers and producers that aren't new, that have been around for a while, it's like, yeah, sure, come on. The engineer personality is somebody of service. It's like the hospitality industry, you know, for people getting into in- engineering, you know, you really have to think of as like, how can I help my client? That is your, your number one goal. So I could see where that would make a much better guest than someone of like, how great I am. Yeah, that tends to be the way it works with an artist. Now, that being said, I've had lots of legendary artists on, which is a different story because they have a big history. And I'm curious if 
nothing else. Well, if you're curious, then probably the people that listen are curious as well. What has your experience been with PR agencies? What do you think works as far as their pitch to bring you on as a, a guest on your show? First of all, that they know exactly what the show is about. And in general, because I've written for Forbes and I have a couple of blogs and everything, I get pitched so much. And what really upsets me is I get pitched on things that have no relation to what I do. The spray and pray. <laughs> yeah. You don't even know what I do or write about or talk about. Yeah. So right away, that goes away. But if somebody has a reasonable pitch about, okay, this is how this could be useful to you. It's like, oh yeah, okay, I'll consider it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, that kind of reminds me of like online dating tips where it's like, you know, someone for girls, they get tens of messages, you know, Hey, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? But if a guy just spends, you know, five seconds and, and writes like, Hey, I noticed you were wearing this t-shirt. Did you go to that concert or what, what was, I was there too, you know, just something that showcases that they paid attention, you know, or vice versa. It really, it really helps. So yeah, having a targeted audience, I think is really important. Yeah. Another, another thing I do uh, with clients is, is research. So creating a spreadsheet of all the podcast producers and like really drilling down instead of emailing 500 with a BCC, finding 10 and then like liking their social media, writing them on LinkedIn, you know, following up with them, showing where they're going to be and hanging out there. Not in a creepy way, but, you know, in a business appropriate way of just like really trying to hone in on the on the 10 best things that they can get on. Yeah, but that's online networking today. Mm -hmm. It's online networking 101. I mean, it works for playlist curators as well. Same thing. But nobody does it. <laughs> it's funny. It is 101, but no one thinks about that from, you know, a strategic uh, perspective or they don't want to be creepy, you know, and it's like, well, just shoot your shot. Might as well. Yeah, right. Where do you come down on TikTok with your clients? I don't do TikTok. Surprisingly enough, I think it's really valuable. And I had a client that actually, you know, asked me to help them with TikTok. And I said, I don't do it because my audience is, is normally older. And also for me personally, I know if I download it, I'll never get any work ever done ever again. So it's, it's more self-preservation. But he had maybe like 5,000 followers on Instagram. And in the last six months on TikTok with his, uh, he's a comedian and a musician. He now has 500,000 followers. That's incredible. And that really changed my mind. And so his, you know, he does a lot of voiceovers for his cats and like silly things. So all the cat moms out there, and now he's doing merch. And, you know, he's selling, you know, like $10,000 a month worth of merch for, and that's drop shipping. He's not doing it. He's only making, you know, 20 or 30% per item. If he can actually find the warehouse and get the materials himself, he can make a lot of money. Yeah. TikTok is absolutely huge and it should be a part of your marketing strategy if you want to talk to an 18 to 24 year old. If that's part of your your thing or you know maybe up to a 30 or apparently cat moms are on there too. Yeah. But you have to be disciplined. I'd rather someone do one social media really well and consistent than five once every couple months. Yeah, I agree. That's the best way to do it is uh, you have to focus on something and get good at it and then kind of Are expand. you on TikTok? Are you doing any of the crazy dances or anything like that? Well, no, but I, I am going to. And the reason why was I mentioned this mastermind and we do it on Zoom most of the time, but we do get together. And 
one of the people within the mastermind it was a TikTok expert, and she gave us a presentation that changed my mind and everybody else that was there and went over the way to do it and why. And it did change my mind. Now, that being said, I haven't executed yet. I mean, she, she had a strategy on how to roll it out and everything. But I've just been so busy with other things. It's like, well, I can't really start on this yet, but I will. Yeah, I think it's a valuable tool, just as anything is, you know, but you really have to understand your target market. That That's the basic, that's marketing 101. It's like, who is going to buy your thing or your service and really understanding how old they are, what do they like to do, where do they shop, and, you know, where do they relax and spend time and try to advertise in those places. Last question, Nicole. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received or maybe you learned along the way? Hmm. Well, the first thing that came to mind was it's the same people going up as it is going down and to essentially be nice and respectful. And, you know, I saw this in radio a lot of artists that, you know, had that really hot shot album and came in guns blazing and just didn't give anyone at the station a time of day. And then their sophomore album comes out and then, you know, it's a huge flop. And they're begging to come back to the radio station to get any airplay, you know. Uh, so that's one example. But honestly, just, yeah, be nice. Uh, my shirt, you can't see it for the people listening. It says, do good, be kind. Good people want to work with good people. So just understanding that you never know. Coming full circle to when I started at 19 as a pharmacy technician in Walgreens in Reno, I was just being nice to a customer and talking and chatting and spending a little extra time. And that ended up spawning a 10 to 15 year career in radio. So you just never know who you're talking to. So just do good and be kind. You can find out more about Nicole at NicoleSlaterConsulting.com. That's NicoleSlaterConsulting.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at BobbyOsinski.com. There you'll also find out more about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosensky.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosensky.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osensky's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosensky.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find an Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.